If I told you had a story that needed to be heard, would you tell it? Better yet, if you knew your story could help someone else, would you share it? Today, my guest is Barbara Hoffman. Today, she is going to talk to us about a tragedy that changed her life and put her in a direction where she helps other people here in the community of Chandler, Arizona. Hi, I'm Christine Hotchkiss, and I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprint that puts us on the path of our journey. Some call it a purpose. Each story can help, heal, inspire, and of course, my favorite word, hope. Welcome, Barbara. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for giving me your time. Today is uh, a podcast for everyone to understand that not, not every story is a happy story, but what we do with our stories is what I find to be the happy part because that's where we find that hope to help other people. Would you agree? Yes, I think that makes a big difference. Okay, so your journey was the passing of your son. Please tell our listeners a little bit about your son and um, the, what happened that day that changed your life. Well, back on August 28, 2004, my 14-year-old son had come over to my house from his dad's house to visit his sister. His sister happened to have just gotten out of the hospital from a near-tragic car crash where she got ejected. In the, uh, out in the desert in Mexico, actually, and oh, wow. they airbacked her to Phoenix, and she spent about a month in the hospital, and she still couldn't walk, so they sent her home with a hospital bed and wheelchair, and my son came over, watched a movie with her, and then he he got up, and I saw him lean over, give her a little hug. She had fallen asleep, mm-hmm. and I almost stopped him because uh, they didn't really get along very well, <laughs> and I was like, I want a picture, and I had one other photo of them as little kids hugging, and I took the picture. Oh, so you have the picture of him hugging her that time? At the first time, not this time. Oh. Not the later time, but anyway, okay. he said he had to go back to his dad's house because his dad bought him a puppy. And he had a motorized scooter with him, and he put on his helmet and his his protective glasses, and he was out the door. And wasn't a short time, it was a pretty short time later, uh, Someone was knocking at the door, and I hear people crying, and I open the door, and my next-door neighbor was standing there with her two 12-year-old twin daughters, and they were crying, and I said, what's going on? And they said, Michael was just hit by a car. So my first impression, my first thought was that my daughter would have to move over, and we'd have two hospital beds in my living room, and they both (laughs) would have broken legs. But I told her, take me to the scene. So I guess... When I wasn't looking, she mouthed to my then-boyfriend who was living with me to follow us because she knew it was not good. But okay. we got to the scene. It was like in the movies where you're, I'm running to the intersection, and the police stop me, and they say, are you the mother? And I said, yes. And they said, you have to wait here. They're w- working on him. Mm-hmm. So as I'm standing there for a few minutes waiting, I end up sitting on the curb and started losing feeling in my hands and my feet and my I mean, I started like tingling, and I told my boyfriend that I'm losing feeling in my my hands, and he told one of the paramedics, so they put oxygen on me. Mm-hmm. And what probably was only 20, 30 minutes time, I was probably going into shock, but I was just panicking because they wouldn't let me see Michael. They right. wanted me to wait. And I thought that Michael would do better if he heard my voice or whatever. Mm-hmm. But these two men walk over to me, and they, they stood in front of me, and they said, I'm sorry we couldn't save him. Mm. And those words, I repeated them out loud to Steve. He was standing there, my boyfriend, and and he shook his head like, oh, 
you know, he he kind of knew because I think when my neighbor came, she told him it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. But she was hopeful still that maybe they could do something to bring him back. But he didn't have a pulse immediately when he, he was hit. Oh. So I found out that there was an elderly man who was uh, driving a big white Buick on his way to a casino. Mm-hmm. And he ran a red light and hit Michael. And Michael died at the scene. Yeah. And I was an angry mom for a long time. I found out that the police were not going to charge him with, like, involuntary manslaughter. They weren't taking his license away. And he was in his mid-80s, and I'm thinking, this is not correct. I mean, it was like all they did was give him a ticket for running a red light, and there was no no punishment for killing Michael. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, that's they should at least give me as a mother an option to press charges if I wanted to. They wouldn't let me do anything. Mm-hmm. So I started looking on the Internet for laws to use against him like they had laws for yielding to pedestrians and crosswalks and especially some laws to yielding to children in the streets and stuff like that mm-hmm. and stopping at red lights is there's a law for that i'm thinking he broke the law he should be punished so when the police wouldn't punish him i we were going to go ahead and sue him in civil court mm-hmm. which was a real nightmare too because his attorney was making it sound like teenagers think they can live forever and they were putting all the blame back on michael and so as i'm looking on the internet for more things i came across a, a non-profit called red mean stop coalition and i gave them a call and the guy that answered was one of the founding fathers who had lost his daughter and that they did not do further charging against the man that killed his daughter and he understood how i felt and some reason when you lose a, a child or even lose a loved one getting with somebody else that's got a similar type of thing that's happened to them it it gives you comfort to know you're not alone Mm -hmm. and so i talked to him he told me that i could start volunteering Uh, during the volunteering time they changed the name to red mean stop traffic safety alliance partly because they wanted to look into other traffic safety issues in addition to red light running but a lot of them tie together anyway whether somebody's drunk and run a red light or or driving drowsy or on drugs or speeding aggressive driving all those can cause red light running so over time i end up volunteering then i went to i joined the board then i was a board officer then for the past five years i've been the executive director up until april 1st now i'm a volunteer again mainly it was uh funding issues uh non-profits do have trouble getting funding agree and to pay for an executive director right now is really difficult and now that we're in this pandemic and not able to do a lot of fundraisers and things it's more difficult to get money for the nonprofit. I agree. I chose to be an advocate and try to change bad driving behavior. Well I want to share with you that I completely understand you and I've met a couple times in real life not just here on the on the phone um, you mentioned about when you lose a child and uh, the me too factor I call it um, it's comforting to know someone else has gone through something, if not identical, I don't think everyone's identical, but something very similar. You and I share that journey with me and my story of losing my 17-year-old daughter, Nicole, on New Year's Day 2000 with my family being in an auto accident. Um, she passed away on New Year's Day again at 17. And I didn't have any idea what that meant, and I did feel alone. And, of course, my world around me fell apart in so many ways which also, like you, became a part of a nonprofit. I founded a nonprofit, so I can agree with all the things about the funding and the, all the events and everything that go with it. But the, the, 
the meaning behind getting it actually started is because something happened in our lives that we want to make sure that someone else doesn't go through that same pain or that same trial of things. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to have had you come across my path because I'm able to meet people and we can share our stories and feel comfortable and we don't have that silence of what do you say to someone. We know what that means. Um, so I commend you for continuing to stay a part of the community and being a part of the nonprofit that you were the executive director because your heart is still there, still wanting to make that difference to help other people. So I want to say thank you for that for sure. Thank you. Anyone who knows a parent who's lost a child, a lot of the times it's the mothers that speak out. It's not the fathers. And um, I want our listeners to know that the mothers and the fathers are not the only ones that are affected by the loss of a child. It's anyone who is in contact or with that individual, family, or friends. I'm sure you can confirm this one, the day that you had his celebration of life. And I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Michael. Michael is an important individual, not just while he was here, but obviously after the fact. And he's making a difference because that's his story you're sharing that puts you on the journey and the path in which I, I believe everyone has because something has changed us. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people that came and supported you. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. The ladies at church were going to put on a little luncheon after the funeral and she asked me, how many people do you expect? And a lot of my relatives live out of state, and not that many could even attend the funeral. So I said probably 50 people, mm-hmm. and four, 450 people showed up. No, oh, isn't that a good feeling? It is. People from my work who never even met my son came to support me, and I think that was very touching. I worked at ASU at the time, and some of the professors had met my son, and they they really broke down and cried and these were men and women and it was real touching to see the amount of care in the community and I think that's very important to support others that have gone through this trauma. Absolutely and I think you've probably even still come across people I do from time to time but I don't I don't let them worry about what not to say or what to be careful around me to say or not to say um, this is our life and what we do is make sure that, and I've never met Michael. I've seen pictures. I see him on the, on your f- uh, cell phone case, and I hear the story, and it's as if I already had met him, and I didn't. And I think we'll call that a legacy that he has left behind that you are continuing to let everyone know who Michael was in your life. Um, was he active in school with anything in particular that um, maybe you got involved with the school to continue forward like a grant or anything in sports that would give kids uh, an opportunity to um, feel like they belong with a, um, a scholarship or, or maybe even a personable bench or something at a school? Yeah, at the time we, we started a scholarship fund back in 2004, but we waited until Michael would have graduated high school to give it out to somebody that was going to school college or or university and my ex-husband and I we split the money in half so he could set up his criteria the way he wanted to do on his grant and I set up my criteria on mine and what he was looking for somebody that was straight-a student that was going to go to a technology school because Michael really liked technology and mine I had them write essays about how to be safe drivers and talk about you know how they felt when they heard about Michael 
you know, being killed and the method, you know, how he got killed with the red light running. And so my essays that I read were very interesting. And, it, you know, the kids knew about Michael years before, but some of them didn't know. But the ones that did know Michael, they were saying that when they started to learn to drive, that they definitely thought about what happened to Michael that really changed the way that they drive. And I think that's interesting that they they had that memory and it affected their driving abilities. You know, some didn't get their license till a little bit later. Some of them said they're twice as more, you know, more careful than they probably ever would have been knowing that they could kill somebody. And I thought that was interesting. So, so I gave my mind to someone that was going to ASU and she may not have been a straight A student, but she had a great essay and she knew Michael back in ninth grade when, when he died and she wasn't his best friend or anything, but I thought that it was interesting to go that route. And then the other student that got straight A's and was going to technical school, they were both grateful. But the girl that I gave mine to, her father had just lost his job, and she may not have been able to go to college oh, without wow. some additional funding. And so I felt really good that helped her family as that, well. That's wonderful to hear. You're... I guess we could call it as a pay it forward in memory of Michael. So good for you. A couple of different things. Uh, I had met you at a woman in leadership luncheon in Chandler, Arizona. And, um, you know, we, we meet people for a reason, I believe, even if it says we've heard, you know, for a, uh, for a lesson, a lifetime or, um, for that moment. And with Michael, um, and you just talked about the schooling. When you were with Red Means Stop, did you go and do some programs? I think you did, so correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you go into the school systems to try and educate them as well? Yes, I actually got, well, there's not too many high school districts that have driver's ed anymore, mm -hmm. which is a really good location to give talks about traffic safety. But Mesa, which is the school district my children were both in, happened to still have driver's ed. So every year, mostly every year, I've been invited to speak in their driver's ed classes, which they have them in multiple high schools. And that's been good for me. Sometimes I feel like they're not listening, but the one instruct, one of the teachers at the high school has them write a thank you note. And some of the things the kids said made me realize they were listening. You know, they, they heard my whole story. They understood the trauma and they didn't want to put their parents through anything like that. So I think that maybe just getting into certain kids' ears is important. If I saved one student's life, that's worth my time and, and energy, and I think I probably did save a few. Absolutely. I'm happy to hear that, yes. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. I, I couldn't say anything different than that. Um, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, because you had made a comment in the very beginning, which is completely understood for anyone who's lost a loved one, as you'd also mentioned, but for us it's our children. You were an angry mom, and that's part of the seven stages of grief. But you had also gone further with saying that you wanted this uh, individual to pay for the loss of your son, um, which is why you talked about how you got involved with Red Means Stop. Um, do you know um, what happened to that individual? Not that it really matters, but I'm sure, we, as we know, when we're driving, our, our minds get a little distracted in uh certain things probably check us out in far, as far as thinking-wise. So I don't know what happened as to how this individual hit your son, um, and you don't have to share that, but 
the journey of wanting to do um, a, a lawsuit against this individual, I'm going to assume it never went forward. That's true. Yeah, oh. we we did hire an attorney, and and he hired an attorney, and I guess they asked for all his assets. Uh, we found out that he neglected to mention a, a home that he owned in Montana on his list of assets, and it ended up there was some discussions over some months and there were some terrible letters written from his attorney to us and you know how we're picking on this old sickly old man and you know made, making us feel really guilty and saying that you know teenagers are are crazy we, and, right we won't get into we won't get into that we don't want to get into the negatives of this i think that um that would be due. no but then the man offered to give us a, a silo in montana as a settlement okay and i that was the settlement. I'm like, I want it. I said, I want to write his name on that. I was still angry then. I want to write his name on there and say he killed my son. But everybody talked me out of taking the silo because they said, you don't know what's in it. You don't know what it takes to maintain it. You know, there could be grain in it. And you'd have to just do, deal with all that. And so I didn't do it. We dropped the lawsuit and went on with their life. Well, I did find out shortly after that the man had fallen and broken his hip and he got put into a nursing home in Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some time that I would check to see if he was still alive because he was elderly and everything. And I never found that he was not, you know, that he had died or anything. But then, I don't know if it was like a year or two later, I looked up his looked up obituary with his name, and I decided to search like 300 newspapers across the U.S. and his name did pop up that he had died shortly after killing Michael. But he was in Montana, and I was looking in the Arizona Republic. <laughs> but anyway, I guess I, I really... I guess where I'm going with this without putting a negative into it, because it's just, the world already has enough negativity, and I, we really need to find some peace and some forgiveness within ourselves and others, because we are human beings, and I always say we are messy as human beings, and we need to learn how to forgive people, because what's done is done, and that doesn't take away the pain like you and I have shared with our losses, but I, I also think that, um, if I remember correctly, and, and at the time we had talked, you had mentioned that this gentleman had lost his wife as well pre- previous to the accident. Is that right? That's what he wrote in an apology letter, yes. So with that being said, I'm pretty sure, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he probably was not in his right mind as well. Not that it's an excuse, by no means. But him losing a loved one, I think you can relate to that feeling Either it's the anger or the numbness, and and you mentioned um, he had passed away after um, shortly after Michael's passing. Um, I'm thinking that maybe this man was not only feeling his loss of his wife because we don't know his life, but that he just took the life of another individual, which probably was very overwhelming for him, um, as it is for anyone who's lost a loved one. And I can't. I don't even want to think about me taking the life by accidentally hitting someone because that's that's a tough thing to swallow. I only I already have my own that I have to deal with. In that, I just, on both sides, it's going to be difficult if you're of the course. family that lost a loved one or if your loved one killed somebody. Both sides is a tragic of course. mess. I mean, of course, and really- I was. And I was going to share with you, in my auto accident, not that they're they're similar, I was in the vehicle with my family, and my children had friends. Each of them had a friend. And I think the only thing that keeps me sane is the fact that I sacrificed... Excuse me. uh, I I get a little caught up on it sometimes. Um, 
I sacrificed losing my daughter rather than being that person like that man that killed Michael that I would have been responsible for someone else's child had it been my children's friend. So um, that's why I say what I say because it's hard on both sides. It is, and I, I want everyone to realize that we are not perfect. We do make mistakes. Forgiveness is an absolute must because it's you that has to live with the thoughts, the feelings, the anger, and, of course, the loss and the pain. Um, would you say you have found peace with being involved with Red Means Stop, even if that you're a volunteer and then you've carried on uh, your life as you have? Oh, definitely. I, I was, a, like I said, a very angry person. And I didn't have good understanding of, or even forgiveness for a while. Mm -hmm. But as I've worked with traffic safety over the years, I found that I made the choice to go on the other side and not be the angry person, but be somebody that is out there trying to change the bad driving behavior. So that, like you said, no other family has to go through this. Sure. And people have come up and told me that they changed the way they drive after hearing my story and meeting me. And even if that's only a handful of people, I'm really happy that they've, you know, decided to, to go the other way themselves, you know, and they, they may have saved lives, but, you know, I feel like I've saved lives, and that's the important part. So, because we're coming up on time, um, what message would you like to share with others about your experience of um, loss and I'll let you either decide whether it's the person who was responsible for Michael's passing, you're moving forward with life in memory of Michael. Um, what kind of message would you like to leave everyone? Well, I believe that in a situation when you have something terrible happen in your life, you can make a choice. You can either be angry and very negative you can crawl in a hole you can treat people poorly or you can go the other way and you can find peace in it you can help others you can make the world better instead and i think that choice is something that's difficult to make sometimes i mean i had trouble moving into the other side and i'm really glad that i did because it makes me a happier person too by treating people kindly and giving some people hope and helping other families that are gone gone through this so I, I believe that's the main thing is to make your decision and think about it. it's going to benefit yourself and your family and everybody around you if you choose to be a happy person and a grateful person for what you do have. Beautiful message, Barbara. Beautiful message. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. If anyone should have um, questions or because it's a Me Too factor or want to know more about Red Mean Stop, would you be available? Yes, they can send me an email. Okay, go ahead. At barb.hoffman at redmeansstop.org. Go ahead and or say that. Or my email is barb.hoffman at asu.edu. I received them both emails. Go ahead and say it again because I interrupted. I'm sorry. Oh, barb.hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N, at asu.edu. Perfect. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Barbara, for being my guest today, for sharing your story to help heal. I'm definitely inspired. Of course, my favorite word, as always, is give hope. 
And to my listeners, I thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you are notified about the next great story because these keep getting better and better. And if you would like to share your story or know someone who wants to share their story, please email me at Christine at Stories of Hope. And that's Christine with a C-H and stories with a Y. Thank you again, Barbara. You're welcome. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well. Take care.